Welcome to Health Outlook, a podcast and interview series focused on helping pre-health students understand various fields within the world of healthcare. My name is Anirudh Madali, and I will be interviewing pre-health students, health professionals, and anyone else doing meaningful work or service in healthcare. My goals for this podcast is to help those like me in their pre-health journey to understand the many possible paths we may take to creating a better world around us and improving healthcare on an individual level. The first episode of Health Outlook features an enriching conversation with Washington University and St. Louis graduate, Ritvik Kondai. Ritvik is a psychology neuroscience philosophy major, which he refers to as PNP. Initially a pre-med student at WashU, Ritvik switched gears and began working in addiction science and harm reduction care. In this, ad- in this episode, we discuss the importance of research for pre-health students his extracurriculars, and his public health work in addiction science. Thank you for listening, and let's jump right into our conversation with Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. Uh, first off, thank you so much, Rudik, for joining me today to discuss your story and help kick off this podcast as the first of, hopefully, many great guests. I think today's conversation will definitely be an eye-opener for many people out there contemplating the, the different paths within healthcare and public health. Um, and for those who want to learn more about your work specifically in addiction science and harm reduction. Uh, so let's just start by taking it back a couple of years to when you started college at, uh, at WashU. Coming in, at, coming in as a prospective pre-med, what interested you from high school? Did you have a clear idea about your major or path to med school? Yeah, and uh, first of all, I also just want to say thank you, Anirudh, for um, letting me be your first guest and <laughs> see where this goes. Uh, yeah, um, coming in as a prospective pre-med. So yeah, I applied to high school. I applied to high school undecided. I had an idea that I wanted to do the PNP major. Um, I just thought it was so cool. Uh, neuroscience, psychology, philosophy, the way I saw it was like, you study three different aspects of the mind and uh, I don't know, that was just so fascinating to me. And so that's really what got me hooked uh, at, on WashU, that major. Um, and, but I still wanted to just kind of explore my options and kind of just like make it known that I wanted to, that I was undecided because I was undecided still, even though I liked the PNP. So I went in undecided, but you know, I had a background in science and math and that's kind of what I was building and strengthening throughout high school. And coming from a South Asian background, um, that definitely played a role, I would say, in even choosing to be pre-med, right? Because I think um, medicine, engineering tend to be like some clear cut paths that South Asian parents tend to like, you know, push their kids in that direction. That's what what I've noticed definitely um, in my college experience and just, I guess, you know, family, friends and stuff. Um, Definitely. I see that too. Um, it's it's a, pr- a pretty prevalent notion um, in the South Asian community. Uh, did you know or keep in the back of your mind that there might be something other than the traditional, you know, graduate or med school route for you? Um, when I guess specifically med school. Right. Yeah. To be honest, like, yes. <laughs> like I was never fully tied to pre-med. You know, I applied to WashU because it had a great pre-med program and it also had the PNP that I liked and I kind of wanted to get away from the East Coast and I was like, okay, Midwest seems cool. And so I applied to WashU, early decision, and I did indicate that I was pre-med. However, I still wasn't like completely sure. Like in high school, I think up until like sophomore year of high school, I was like dead set on medicine. And then junior year hit, and then I think I was taking chemistry. I think I was taking AP Chem at the time. And I think I just like enjoyed the science for, for the first time. Bio, I didn't love as much because I, I, I don't know, I just didn't love it as much. But Chem, I really liked. And I just liked the science for what it was. So I was like, hmm, maybe there isn't, you know, maybe medicine isn't the end all be all if like, I like science. And I also feel like, you know, in high school, you, you just don't know what exists out there. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you just don't know what exists. You know, there's doctors, there's engineers. And like, you know, if you're strong in science or math, those are two, you know, 
pretty strong directions you can go in, but it's not limited to you know, just those people who are good at stronger, who are good at math and science, nor does that necessarily mean you have to go into med school? So I, I'm trying to dispel that notion. But. Yeah, no, I I think uh, AP classes and I guess any type of high school class, um, at least for like public schools, uh, for the most part, they're not really a great indication of what college courses are like. Like for example, AP Chemistry is not like not at all the same as you know Orgo or you know, even in organic chemistry and at the same time, like bio, AB bio, it doesn't really cover much of the stuff that, uh, you know, you would learn in biochemistry or something like that. So I definitely think that um, thinking that, you know, science is the end all be all for you in high school may not be, um, you know, the reality when you get to college and you start taking those uh, pre-med prerequisites and everything. And, and I think that's super important to understand is like, you know, being okay that, not that everything that you thought you wanted to do is not going down the way that you you thought it was going to happen because there are so many paths to end up at the same place so like you know i think this traditional whether it's a traditional med student or a traditional you know x student fill in x i think we got to get away from that you know like there are so many different paths that you can take to go to med school to, you know, you can go to med school, drop out of med school, come back to med school. There are people who do all sorts of things. And, you know, the average age of a med student is 24 to 26. So that just tells you that people are coming in with like other world experience that I think is so important, both for med school and for high school, going into college at a smaller degree, I would say too, like just having that world experience because there's more to you than just being a student. You know, there's, there's a person behind that. There's a person with passions, with interests, with hobbies, you know, and you should have the time to explore those while also obviously, you know, maintaining your professional goals and stuff. But I think really getting a, a chance to grow as a human being first makes you so well-rounded when going into that next stage in life. Yeah. I think that's uh, it's kind of like a catalyst for why I started this podcast in the first, uh, first place, because I realized that, first of all, there aren't many podcasts about helping, you know, pre-health or uh, pre-med, uh, pre-meds in general. And then, you know, a subset of those are actually the majority of those are usually like a top-down view, right? They're like from admissions counselors or, you know, uh, medical professionals or health professionals who are telling people around our age, you know, what to do or how to do something to get where they are. And I think looking at it from kind of uh, learning like as a holistic process of who's around you and who's um, doing what um, in your I guess your age group is a better way to look at it um, so obviously coming you know going back to you how were the initial stages of being a pre-med student how are the initial stages I mean they were dreadful <laughs> I don't think I think there were very few pre-med students who like those intro you know biochem physics sequence um, I think you know I, I, at least in my experience, WashU definitely made, you know, Chem 1, Chem 2, Bio, and Physics, their, like, feeder, uh, filter classes, and I feel like that happens at most places, too, but, yeah, they were definitely tough. That being said, I think, you know, outside the classroom, this was probably some of the places that I bonded with my friends the most, you know, just late night studying for exams, doing some, you know, problem sets or whatever, and just, like, I think it's a great way to get to know people and, and get closer to people. So in that sense, it was good because I met some lifelong friends during that time. But the, the work itself obviously was tough. But again, like I think I, I'm just a very, I like to learn. I like to learn. I don't like to take tests, nor do I like to like write papers. So so there's my downfall, but I love learning. So um, I, I did enjoy, and especially the chem program at our school was so well taught. So it was so much fun. And then same with Orgo. Orgo, I took the summer after my freshman year. I was taking with some friends and I think I liked the way it was taught. And, you know, it, 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 was, it was good. I, was, I had a good time with them. But, you know, looking back, I'm glad that I still took those classes because I think it provided me a foundation, 
because I still, you know, my, my, uh, what do you call it? My, I guess subject, my, my background <laughs> is in neuroscience, right? So I think that foundation of the biology, the chemistry really did help and it was um, important. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of initial milestones, you know, like uh, you talked about a little, you know, finishing those physics sequence, uh, the physics sequence cal classes, you know, obviously, um, orgo organic chemistry is a big thing for almost any pre med. Um, that's kind of like one of the, the biggest, um, you know, roadblocks to figuring out if you can still do the, the whole pre med or pre health uh, tracks. Now, before we move on to more like your extracurriculars and whatnot, do you have any quick advice for those currently in the trenches with these pre med prereq classes? You know, obviously, I'm um, in that stage also. Uh, do you have any quick advice? Well, I don't know if you should be asking an ex-pre-med for advice, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I don't know, man, it's just, it's just the same advice I feel like with most classes, just go to class, do the work, study, <laughs> you know, but to expand on that a little bit more, I think these classes, especially if you can really nail down, um, you know, this foundation, this foundational level of science, science, I think it helps you so much when you move on to, you know, whether it's really understanding chem and then it helps you on with orgo or, you know, understanding bio. And then when you move on to stuff like cell bio or microbio, like, you know, you don't have to keep going back and ask yourself, oh, what is this? What is this? Like, you know, it, it takes less time to, you know, bring that information back. So I think it's just, take the time to, to like soak this information. Cause again, you have to, you have to spit it out in the MCAT. So um, it's not going away anytime soon. It's not going away anytime in med school either. And like, you'll obviously relearn it along these stages, but if you can do the best you can to nail it, I think. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads me to my next question. Uh, did you take the MCAT uh, during your time at WashU? I can say fortunately that I did not take the MCAT. <laughs> So in that case, when did you decide not to take it and pursue a different path in healthcare or public health? Right. So, I mean, I think, so I came into school, I was pre-med, quote unquote pre-med, but I was also like, eh. And so I did the first year, my whole first year, I did, you know, chem, bio, calc, uh, I didn't take psych that year. And then the following year, I did more bio. I didn't take physics. I took some psych classes. But it was around, I think, second semester, going into second semester, sophomore year, that I think I started to realize that I didn't love, I think I asked myself, like, what am I doing this for, right? Why am I doing medicine? And I think maybe a lot of people will also find themselves in this position. They're like, I want to help people, you know, very basic, but it's still powerful. You have the desire to help people. I don't think everyone can say that they do, but why does you wanting to help people mean that you have to be in medicine to do that? I think that's the next question that you have to ask yourself. And I don't think people do. And then they fall into the trap of just being pre-med and, you know, just working hard at these classes. And for what, you know, if you had maybe taken the time to ask yourself, what is this, what is it, what is it that I'm really, you know, after here? Is it really the, like, am I really, dying to get in there and do surgery on somebody am I really dying to get in there do some diagnosis and like prescribe medicine and you know there's more to physician than just seeing patients like I, th I think the physician life is also in some ways glorified and I think that leads to a lot of people just kind of uh, you know emptily just blindly sorry just kind of going in and being pre-med so I think it was asking myself these questions that I began to realize that you know I really loved PNP I loved the major that I was studying and that's why I came to WashU so I was like all right let me try to push this neuroscience bit a little bit more if I'm not going to be able to pursue if I'm not going to do this med stuff but at the same time I was like you know Maybe I, who knows, maybe I like this neuro stuff. And along the way, I realized that I feel like I need this medicine component to help me in whatever it is that I want to do later on at that stage, once I've established myself as 
a neuroscientist say, right? If I went through grad school, PhD, get a neuroscience degree, right? So I was asking myself these questions basically, just, yes, I wanna help people. Okay, even help people in healthcare. Okay, so does that necessarily mean you have to be a physician to do that? Can you do the same thing being a nurse, being a PA, right? There are different, yeah. there are different you know, um, roles in the healthcare setting. Would your uh, strengths be best suited towards maybe the healthcare administration side, right? That's in the bigger healthcare bubble. Yeah, I think I think that's a it's a really great point that you mentioned about questioning yourself for not only why do you want to go into medicine or healthcare, but also what exactly do you want to get out of it? Kind of looking at the both ends of it, right? And um, I feel like if if uh, people fail to do that and fail to understand that, uh, like you said, like the the physician life and you know the medical professional life is not as I guess easy or even glorified as you mentioned, um, they can get they can run into problems along the way, or they could regret their decisions along the road. Um, now, but in terms of how you kind of moved from uh, you know medicine and healthcare to more the public health route and addiction science, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm I'm assuming that a lot of it did come from classes, but there's probably a large portion of it that came from what you did outside the classroom. Uh, in terms of your extracurriculars. So I first wanted to shortly discuss your time as an RA for the WashU uh, School of Medicine and how and why did you get into research? Totally, yeah. So uh, this is exactly where we were in my journey. So sophomore year, here I am going into second semester sophomore year. And I decided that I think I wanted to pursue this neuros neuroscience side a little bit uh, more. So I joined this lab and they were doing uh, work with like circadian rhythm and Alzheimer's disease. So, um, and it was a wet lab experience. And, and I think in my head, both for med school and if I wanted to do grad school, you know, especially for grad school for neuroscience, you gotta get, you wanna get some publications by the time you're out of college or you wanna get some significant research experience such that you've created a relationship with your PI and they can write you a good recommendation letter and, you know, um, yeah, I think grad school that's not medical school is, is a little bit more focused on like the, the work you do outside the classroom for sure. So that is why I, I joined, uh, the lab and, you know, through my experience, I, I, I really was interested in what I was doing and I was learning a lot and it was super cool, you know, working with mice, mice brains. Um, it was really cool, but I think what I realized was it was hard to find myself to find the motivation to continue doing the work because I think the kind of person that I am, I received more out of the work and I put more of myself into the work when I was able to connect with people. And though this, you know, all scientific research, wet lab research is so important because you have to understand that at that very, you know, at the molecular molecular level, understanding that is extremely helpful for sure. But also when we scope out right at the macro level, at the maybe at the psychological level, you know, understanding, understanding, you know, the neuroscience at the molecular level won't necessarily help you connect with somebody in a moment, in an instance where you have to connect with them as a person. Does that make sense? Yeah, I definitely understand that. Uh, and I think that like the way that you mentioned how you got into research, um, you know, specifically out of interest for neuroscience and what you were majoring in, um, but it became more, you know, about what you could also get out of it. And I feel like there's a notion these days that research is just another item on the checklist for pre-health students, pre-med students. And uh, I guess to kind of uh, prove that it wasn't for you, did you learn anything specific as an RA that you use later on or use to this day. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I, to be honest, like a part of me definitely entered the research uh, experience with that checklist mindset. Um, you know, getting a research, getting a publication, getting a good rec letter out of it. I was definitely very, you know, okay, do this, 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 this. And I wasn't taking the time to, to understand really why was it why why am I doing these techniques what like 
what is uh, not in a philosophical level, like why am I doing these techniques? No, but like uh, on a like biological level, okay, what, what, what does this procedure lead to and what is happening at that level? Like, I don't, I just don't think I am the type of person that was like connecting with that aspect of the research, if that makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. I think in terms of what I took out of this experience, and this is some, this is what my PI and my mentor who I was working under, they both told me and it was like, it was, it was that, you know, when you're doing something, especially with research, you want to be doing something that you're chasing after. Research is this chase. You're asking this question, and oftentimes, scientific research especially, it's just very, very niche question. And so you're chasing, 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 and there's a lot of failure that'll, that you'll like come along the way. And, and, and I think it takes a very special type of person to you know, do that. And I just realized that experience, that type of, you know, setting wasn't for me. I think I could do it again if, but I think my, you know, skill set is best applied elsewhere. Now, do you see yourself uh, perhaps doing research in addiction science? Because obviously that's something that you are, um, you know, in right now. And I, yeah, obviously if you don't find the right field of research that you are interested in, then kind of uh, chasing after that niche answer or like that niche, um, you know, that niche experiment is, it's definitely complicated because you obviously will find a lot of problems motivationally to kind of keep going, find other ways to get to um, your end goal and to keep, you know, furthering your, your research. Uh, what would you say to someone who is currently, I guess, in the middle of their research, you know, trying to get a publication or something for med school, um, and is is kind of stuck between either, you know, uh, quitting and trying to find something else, uh, and kind of starting anew, or just finishing this out and seeing what happens. That's that's the big dilemma. No, that's definitely a tough situation to be in. That's seriously no. That that's really a tough situation to be in because, especially in a time because four years when you're entering college you're like oh man, this is shit there's a lot of time um and when you're like in your second third year you're like oh my goodness where is the time gone and there's not enough yeah time. definitely start to realize and yeah i can already start to realize that. a bit of an existential panic that starts to sit in and it's it's a it's not great but uh i think once if you're in a, you know, you're maybe in your sophomore, junior year, you realize you're not totally in love with what you're working on, and maybe a publication seems far to reach, but it might be a little too late to try something new. So what do you do? Seriously, man, I, I, I don't honestly have an answer for that. I really <laughs> think you gotta like trust your gut, you know, do whatever makes you happiest because I think it's easy to say just grind away, just keep going. And hopefully you'll make it there. But it's like the end is not near. It's so hard to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. But you know, if you're in a position where you're committed to the research and you're like, this is what I want to be doing, and I want to get the publication out of this, and that's your goal, then I think commit yourself. Commit yourself wholeheartedly, and not just in the time that you're in the lab. You know, when you're outside the lab, read papers about the work that you're doing. Maybe read work, read, read papers on the work that's like kind of uh, peripheral to the work that you're doing get a sense of who the big players are in, in the field that you're in, right? And I think also something that's really good is to show initiative. And I think college students might find that intimidating, especially when you're in the presence of PIs who have years of experience in research and also like, you know, postdocs and grad students. And so there's also, there, there's just a hierarchy of people who have years and years of research on you However, that doesn't mean you can't uh, provide some sort of, you know, uh, value to them. Uh, yeah, th it doesn't mean that you can't be valuable is what I'm trying to say, yeah. So, so you, I think outside the classroom when you get a chance, you know, reading papers and like maybe coming up with questions to ask your PI, to ask your mentors. And I think also what that does for them, it shows that you're showing interest and so, that makes it easier for them to a trust you, but also be like, 
it, it makes it easier for them to pull you in too because you're showing interest you're like give me work give me work what is this what is that and you're asking all these questions and i think it, i think people also kind of like to keep um like human capital in a field if that makes any sense it's like you know you're you work under a professor like you probably want your the person who worked under you to enter the field that you're in you know what i'm saying mm. uh, kind of like a legacy type thing maybe i'm making that up i don't know but, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know um but yeah so yeah, I, th I think that 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 is a great way to answer a very tough question. Um, I, I honestly kind of came up uh, came up with that on the spot because uh, the way I see it is a lot of people they um, and I've seen this before even at, at Michigan. Um, I know people who they they do research just solely for the I guess like to check off that box and it becomes it becomes like um, to the point where like they want to keep doing it because they know that it'll help them in the future but it just it's either hurting their grades because it's too much time or it's boring or they just don't find themselves useful in the lab or especially now with everything virtual um even i for example like when i'm doing virtual research for my lab uh, sometimes i do feel like oh yeah maybe um obviously i have to wait and you know kind of see the long game and you know wait for everything um but okay so now like before we uh sorry did you want to no i was just gonna say I'd, yeah the time aspect that's definitely something to consider when you're thinking about pre-med stuff i mean you have four years of med school then residency then you know if you're specializing so it's it's at least 10 years of schooling and you know that includes exams and the stress that comes with schooling so you do have to ask yourself that question are you someone who can thrive in that setting not only academically but also just like will you be able to maintain your well-being if you're a student like i think that those are questions to ask yourself and you're right i think a lot of people take a very robotic approach to find a med school grad school i know a little less about because mm -hmm. as much but med school for sure you know i think um a lot of people, um, you know, they just think it comes down to their GPA and CAD and, 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 you know, focus on those and it's fine. And granted your GPA is four years worth of, or three or four years worth of time and investment in your academics, but you know, it, it's so much more than that. And I know this uh, kind of leads into our next thing about- uh, Yeah. So yeah, that, that definitely does. Before we discuss your work in addiction science, I want to talk about uh, your company, Compare Med Schools. Uh, you're the co-founder of this platform that brings together relevant info about MD and DO schools to help applicants during the admissions process. So how and when did you come up with this idea and how similar is it to the MSAR database, which is obviously something that is purchasable, purchasable through the uh, AAMC? Yeah, sorry, I jumped the gun there. <laughs> uh, so how did I come up with this idea? Yeah, once I think junior year winter break, I was just FaceTiming my friend and uh, he was thinking we were talking about he's gonna apply for med school at that time. So we just talked about his cycling stuff. And one thing we noticed was that there's just a severe lack of information surrounding medical schools. Um, lack of organized information. Granted, MSAR does exist. Outside of that, there really doesn't exist much else, except for, you know, painstakingly going on each school's website and trying to find as much information as possible. And half the time, you don't even know what you're looking for. So, um, so that's what we realized, right? And then on top of that, we also realized just how expensive and inaccessible the medical school process is. So, I mean, just think about how much money goes into this process, right? You first need your college education, which is super expensive. On top of that, there's your MCAT stuff. So taking the MCAT itself costs a couple hundred dollars. And then on top of that, MCAT preparation, whether that's classes, books, you name it, like that takes money, you know, it takes money and time. And then also it's a, it's a thing of social capital too, kind of. So people coming from higher socioeconomic backgrounds or coming from uh, you know, people with higher privilege might have a social access to 
people in you know these healthcare jobs for example i think some someone from a higher you know so shadowing is <laughs> excuse me i'm just so many <laughs> shadowing i think is is a pretty important thing uh that people consider to do as part of their medical school application process and you know from my experience i've seen a lot of times people are like oh yeah this family friend that i knew or this person that i knew or this you know my dad's blah 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 or my whatever um having some sort of social connection is what i'm trying to show they have some sort of social connection to them and that's what they leverage to get that shadowing opportunity however people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds may just not have social network right so that just means that's again another that that's one less opportunity that one or more few opportunities that these people are getting because they don't have access to the same professional network right so that's just one example of ways that it is inaccessible so it's so expensive so we wanted to provide some sort of resource some sort of tool that was inexpensive and affordable and our goal was to basically provide information to those who don't have access to it. That's and and there's a dearth of information out. Dearth? Did I use that word right? <laughs> no, I think I didn't. Severe lack of. Yes, there's a dearth of information on med schools out there. So that's how we came to be. I'm so sorry that was <laughs> convoluted. Interesting. So how exactly do, do you think you're going to grow this platform? Because obviously, um, I don't know about your co-founder, um, but without um, both of you being in that kind of med medicine and you know medical track, um, isn't it difficult to understand exactly how these statistics work and how um, people will use these statistics during their admissions process without actually going through that process yourself? Totally. Um, so that that is a good point, but I guess I like aren't um, the advisors like pre health advisors have. I feel like they play a similar role. They're pretty, in my opinion, and again, just talking to friends who have worked with these advisors, most times they just come back super disappointed with the feedback that they receive, just having no questions answered and. <laughs> almost like having less direction than they started with before going into that meeting. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I think empowering people in this process is, is the best thing that you can do for them because you want people to be the most prepared going into whether it's an interview for med school, whether it's having a few med schools to choose from and you know wanting to make the best decision or just even knowing what goes into applying for medical schools, you know? It, institutions with more money for sure might have more resources for their students, but smaller institutions just might not have that, this, the same resources, you know? Um, I, I was talking to a friend and I think he told me that his school's pre-health advising is literally a PDF that you download from their like you know, website. So you know, not all schools have the same sort of advising system either. So in order to, again, kind of try our best to level that playing field, uh, we wanted to at least give people the access to the information so they can make their own decisions and, and better yet, make informed decisions. Yeah, and I, I think that um, when it comes to pre-health advising, pre-med advising, um, even at larger schools, and I've talked to friends at several uh, large schools, um, in general, it's it usually works in your favor if you're the proactive person and you are the person going out and actively seeking and asking the right questions to help your future, which I guess to a certain extent makes sense because they want you to be able to control you know what you want in your future um, but another big part is that it's kind of like you have to do the digging and you have to really really find those answers for yourself even when it comes to pre-health advisors or the advising center or 
um, the websites or in, in some drastic cases, you know, just a simple PDF on the advising website. Um, so I'm definitely, I definitely uh, understand what you're trying to do through your platform. And if anyone who's listening right now is planning to apply to MDDO schools soon, definitely check out this platform at comparemedicalschools.com. Uh, pretty simple link. So it's uh, pretty easy to find. Yeah, we're actually, um, we're revamping our site and we're um, introducing some new things. So uh, definitely check us out. We come the new year, I think we'll, we'll, we'll start to get our new stuff out and we have some more information we've extend, expanded on our database from last time. And going back to the point about MSAR. So yes, we like our direct competitor is MSAR. Uh, we are cheaper than MSR. We provide more information about than MSR. And going back to the point that you know your medical school application is not just your GPA and MCAT. I think our goal is to fo focus less on this quantitative data that exists and more on the qualitative data because I think that really can help people make the best decisions. And honestly, if using our database help somebody realize that they don't want to apply to a school because it doesn't have a certain research focus or maybe it doesn't have this, uh, the same community service uh, resources that you want. Or maybe you wanna work with a specific population and um, a certain school doesn't ha uh, focus on work in that community. You know, if, if a person using our service, using our tool can apply to one less school, knows not to apply to one school because of that, I'd say it's worth it. It's 20 bucks and lasts a year. And I think it, if you buy it like around the time, I would say start doing like your primary secondaries, I think it'll help you through your, like your interviews and um, through when it comes time to selection. So uh, I've had friends who've used it and they found it very helpful and you know, our, our base is growing. So we're, we're gonna be pushing uh, a decent amount uh, in, the, in the coming weeks so definitely look out for us yeah it's great work so i uh, definitely wish you good luck um you know in growing that business so finally let's talk about your time as an ra for the addiction science team at missouri um institute of mental health and i know this is a broad question but i want you to be able to explain as free as you like how and where did you find your passion for addiction science and public health totally so End of my junior year, uh, I think I was kind of in this place where I was struggling with the same question, kind of the neuroscience stuff I liked, but I realized I needed more of a personal connection in the work that I did. And I, I realized wet lab research wasn't really for me. And so I was kind of at this crossroads where I was looking to public health. And at the time, uh, me and my friend, we'd applied for this grant, we'd applied and gotten this grant for Stop the Bleed St. Louis, which is now the T. Um, and they do work with like uh, helping communities. They run these classes basically uh, surrounding like bleeding control and stuff. So they tr teach that to community members in St. Louis. And so we applied for this grant and we got it. So I was kind of like, you know, on a, on a rush and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this, uh, public health thing can work out for me if I if I push it. And I was also kind of on a time crunch because it was junior year. And it was the end of the year, and I also didn't have anything going on for the summer. So I was really pressed. I was like, I need to I need to find something fast. So my friend, he had worked there actually this summer before, and he was coming back to work there that summer also. And so he asked his boss to see if there were any open positions and. Um, I, applied, I, I reached out, they actually said there weren't any open positions. They're like, I'm sorry, we didn't uh, budget like, uh, you know, another interim position into the whatever. And so I was like, okay, yeah, you know, obviously sad that this didn't work out. But I was like, you know, let me know if I can ever help out or if there's anything else that comes up. Um, and almost like the next day, uh, his boss reached back out and was like, hey, actually, we might be able to work something out. So it was just literally like a stroke of luck. <laughs> uh, it's really serendipity. And so I started working there and it was amazing. My boss, Dr. Rachel Winograd, she's amazing. And 
she like the work that she does and she runs this whole department and runs this whole state grant for fighting the opioid epidemic in Missouri, which is it blows my mind. And so it was it was also great because I was kind of just thrown into the water. And uh, the first day they were like, we're on crunch time because we're applying for this grant and it's due next week and we just found out about it and we need this, 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 and this done. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I was just like, what does this mean? Okay, I'll figure it out, I guess. And so it was just like, you know, trial by error and just like learning by doing. So I think I just had a great time just kind of, again, like learning because I just love learning so much that I was just put in a position and they're like, go learn and come back to us with what you've learned. I was like, okay. And that's kind of what research is in a, in a nutshell is go learn something and tell me what you learned. Mm-hmm. But, so it was just, it was a great environment too. I think I, I love the people that I worked with. And I think the most meaningful experience that I had was doing these uh, recovery housing workshops. So basically in, for people who are in recovery, they have these sober living houses that people can go and stay in and, and um, usually it's to provide like a stable environment for those people who are either just fresh in recovery or maybe, you know, at any stage in recovery, it's just to provide a stable environment. And, and so we did these workshops where we asked residents of these, of the recovery houses and recovery house managers, what caused chaos and imbalance in the resident homes? Because what ends up happening is sometimes, you know, uh, people will end up leaving these res- uh, these recovery homes, excuse me, and that can that not only harms this person who's leaving the recovery home, especially if they're not at a stable point in the recovery, but also it causes turmoil within because you know if they've caused tension in the house or if they're fighting with people, you know, there's so many different factors that lead to causing uh, having people leave the recovery houses too early, and through this work, I was able to talk to people and just hear people's stories, man, and, and, and just listen to what they have to say. And, and it's, it's amazing because I think these people in recovery, people who use drugs too, are, are kind of pushed away from society. They're ostracized in a sense and they're stigmatized and uh, you know, there's the stigma that surrounds drug usage, that it's, you know, it's a moral failing or a failure or something. And people don't consider any of the context that comes to drug usage, especially in our country. Um, and so just, just hearing that and, ha- and building that personal connection with them, it was just amazing. And one of the last workshops that I had, there was this guy at the end of it, you know, we're saying goodbyes and everything. And he comes up to me and my friend, we were both, you know, we were working these workshops together. So he comes up to us and he's like, hey guys, thank you so much for doing these uh, workshops. Like it really means so much. Um, we're like, yeah, no, of course, no problem. And he tells us, you know, I have a 17 year old daughter who's just recently entered recovery. And, you know, it, it might be too late for, for me, but if you can at least like figure stuff out for my daughter's generation, you know, it'd be so, so, so amazing. So like these people want help and it's just a matter of reaching out and and providing that help. And so there was something about, I think that, that like vulnerability and that message of, uh, you know, feeling helpless or or feeling lost. And not to say that people use drugs are helpless or, or, or lost. I'm not saying that at all, but, but that's just kind of like the connection that I was able to build with them with the community, with the work, and with the people. And so that, it was, it was also more qualitative work too, which I think I realized I, I can think through better. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just listening to what, to all that you described, you know, from um, starting the process with that, with the research team and then doing the workshops, it, um, it's obvious that you've gained a true passion for helping um, those who want help, uh, as well as ho- those who um, may be a little, you know, hesitant to reach out. And it's uh, definitely important for the healthcare side to kind of reach out first and offer that um, assistance to kind of open their minds, open their eyes. Um, how exactly did did you? 
um, take what you learned as an RA and apply it to what you're doing now? Or how did that lead up to what you're doing now? So the reason I chose addiction science too was because I think of my neuro background, psychology background, especially like uh, because addiction is uh, a disease of the brain. Uh, that's kind of what I had that neuroscience link to it. So that's what you know, connected me with that. But from what I learned from my neuroscience research experience, I think it was exactly what I what I told you is what my mentor told me too, right? Like find that thing that you're, you're running after and chase it. And as I, you know, started finding my footing in this field, I found myself asking questions and then trying to find answers for those questions. I think before I would ask questions and just kind of be like, eh, well, I guess I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I saw myself being like, well, what's that? And then looking into what that is and then, you know, continuing to ask questions and uh, reading as much as I can. Uh, so just doing a lot on the outside that could help me in my professional setting. Um, And uh, now focusing on the present, during the pandemic, how has your work changed um, in addiction science? Well, so I worked there last summer as an intern and then, I mean, senior year, I wasn't working. I was just, you know, doing my classes and not. So I wasn't working during the pandemic, but towards the tail end, I started working recently. So um, I'm working at Mo Network right now. Uh, Mo Network is a network for opiate reform and recovery. And they're a community outreach center, and we run a syringe exchange program. Um, basically, people, it's a, a syringe exchange program is, is a form of harm reduction. Harm reduction are basically techniques uh, used to um, reduce the harm that someone will endure. Basically, it's like promoting safe practices and stuff, trying to eliminate harm. The whole point is meeting people where they're at. So I, I know, I think maybe I, I made the wrong analogy with the like hand reaching thing. I don't mean to say that it is on anybody to, you know, go up to anybody and say, hey, you look like you need treatment. Come on in. Instead, I think it's us for us, for, it's for us to say, hey, you're using and that's fine, but let me help you use safely and cleanly so I know you'll be alive. That's what I'm trying to focus on. I'm just trying to make sure you don't die. And what's been found is that uh, these harm reduction services, the syringe exchange programs, they have a high retention rate when it comes to people coming back and asking for treatment themselves. So that's what I mean mm. by meeting people where they're at. So when people are coming, you know, they're using, we're not telling them to stop using. And there is this criticism that you're enabling people. That's nonsense, you're not enabling anybody. They're gonna use regardless. So it's a matter of, mm -hmm. do you want them to use, reuse old needles or do you want clean needles where you know, you're reducing the, uh, the, the, the risk of transmission for HIV or Hep C, you know? And mm -hmm. That's huge. You, you, you just like made it safer and healthier for this person to live, continue living, where now they have the chance and opportunity to come back and ask you for help. And now they trust you too, because they know they've come to you for help once and you've provided them help. And so, so that's what it is. It's meeting people where they're at. And in my, in, through the time I've been working, sometimes people come there for the first time and they know that they want treatment. Sometimes people have come a couple of times and then they're ready for treatment. Sometimes people just have been coming for a long ass time. So it, it, it's never about what we want, what I want, what the doctor wants, what the healthcare system wants. It's about meeting people where they're at. And that's what harm reduction is around. And so that's the work that I've been doing now and really getting to understand this field. And I, uh, I've also started volunteering with this organization called uh, Never Use Alone. They're a peer support line for, for people who are using. Uh, you can call in and, and you know, if you're alone, 
um, you have somebody on the other end who's uh, ready to provide any sort of like emergency support in case it goes that in that direction. But um, the main thing again is just providing support that 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 uh, connection with somebody. You know, These mm -hmm. people, yeah. Yeah, I think that is that is very very powerful work. Especially, um, I remember we talked about this a little off the pod a couple of weeks ago. Um, we talked about you know the harm reduction, and I remember uh, kind of never really thinking about that in terms of how people are helped. Um, you know, in the in the world of you know kind of healthcare and drugs and um, that intersection, um, harm reduction never kind of. I don't think it's it's emphasized as much as it should be uh, because people kind of jump directly to, yeah, let's let's stop these people from using it instead of kind of taking it step by step. And it's great that you are um, helping people at such a I, I guess like a micro level and making sure that um, that that you know because obviously even though it's at the individual level, it's you know it's incredibly powerful. Like you talked about the story uh, with the man and his daughter. Um, do you see yourself pursuing some sort of additional ed education, you know, like a graduate degree in public health, or you know, um, I think you talked about a PhD in you know some sort of neuroscience or, um, research, uh, or maybe even finding a way back to uh, medicine in the future? These are the questions that keep me up at night. So, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure your 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 parents and family are also. No, it's not. <clears throat> I mean, thankfully, I think I mean, the whole pre med thing. Obviously, they were disappointed, but uh, they've they've come around to you know supporting me for what I'm interested in now. And honestly, yeah, yeah, I do see myself going back to school. I've no idea for what. You know, it varies almost every day. You know, depending on the temperature, depending on the time of day. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, been, I've thought about MPHs. I've thought about going to law school. I've thought about public policy. I've thought about medicine again, for sure. I mean, I think right now I'm at a place where I want to pour myself into the work that I'm doing and really gain the experiences I need that will ground me to continue to to better do you know this work um, yeah one thing people um one criticism that just research i think and academia get as a whole is that in, in public health research is like when they enter into a community and say hey you should try to do this or hey this is what we have found works in terms of a, a quote-unquote solution right uh so this is what you should do so academia is, is this uh, solution-centered approach. But communities, they get upset at that. They, they get upset that people are coming in and telling them what to do when they haven't even spent a second in the community, gotten to know people, gotten to know. And the community doesn't necessarily just mean individual members. It's the whole, like, whether it's a neighborhood, it's a, it's a section of your city, you know. Uh, you haven't gotten the, you haven't taken this time to really understand the the, love, the the nuances of the problems in a, in this area for you to come in and just say that you should try this or you should do this you know so I think with that in mind that's kind of what I want to ground myself in these next year these next two years just you know build that foundation of really getting to understand a community what a community needs how do you provide uh, that that help, right? Um, so, yeah, these are the questions that I've been thinking about a lot, and we'll see, man. I, I have no idea. <laughs> Hoping, told my parents fall twenty two, but it might be <laughs> um, I start grad school. But again, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think for everyone who listens to this, we'll definitely understand, um, or hopefully, we'll understand. You know, there's a lot more than just helping people through medicine. And I think you've, you've definitely um, carved out your, your, your path and your journey through addiction science. And uh, before we wrap up, I'd like to put you through a little bit of a speed round if you're up for it. Um, so the rules are three questions. First question requires three answers. Second requires two. Last one requires one. So question one, 
In your opinion, what are the three hardest pre-med classes? I took only took half of them, so I'm not even qualified to answer this. The three hardest physics, bio one. Honestly, those were the only two hardest ones. Interesting. Uh, you did you take oral in college? Yeah, I did. Okay, and that that didn't make the list. It didn't make the again. I'm telling you. Interesting. Interesting. I feel like that's a that's a hot topic. Yeah. Again, I think I got lucky because I was around you know, taking this class with friends, and the structure of the class was also really good. So I liked Orgo. It was like it was like a puzzle, and I that's just kind of how my brain thinks. So. Yeah, I definitely, I think I definitely thought about Orgo um, like, like a puzzle, um, like a much different class to, well, you know, those primarily, you know, lecture-based classes. I think like truly problem solving. At yeah. Core, you know? mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so next question, name your two fa favorite pastimes during college at WashU. Yeah, just any any pastime, you know, just whatever activities. Yeah, well, I was on a dance team, Washu Chahad, shout out. <laughs> um, and then the other one, I would say, was my, was like our South Asian Student Association, Ashoka. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, you definitely kind of bounced out the whole, you know, the healthcare, public health and all that with a little more culture. So um, respect to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I feel like you start college and you're just, maybe not everybody. Let me talk about myself. I started college and I was kind of like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So I'm just going to do random things. Not mm -hmm. really random, but it was like random things that I like. And then two years later, I was like, well, <laughs> this could have been better allocated. <laughs> better allocated, but it's a, like, I don't regret anything. It's not necessarily regret. I'm just, I look back and I'm just like, well, this was maybe not the best decision or, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, and I think it's a whole learning curve for everyone. Uh, like even even for me, like uh, it, it's, it's just like little, little things that you think about uh, every once in a while. You learn through like senior year. I don't think you ever totally get it. Yeah. So last question um, before we end this podcast, outside of healthcare or public health, realistically, what other field or profession would you pursue? Realistically? Yeah. So I said realistically, right? Because I know that uh, I and like, you know, uh, personally, if someone were to ask me this and not say realistically, I would say something like, you know, go to the league, play some ball or, you know, become a, ten a tennis pro. Um, yeah, right. So that's why I put in the word realistically. I like that. Um, realistically, I think I'd love to be a sports analyst, like a data analyst for cricket. Interesting. Okay. And I haven't heard that before. I've heard like sports commentator, but I haven't heard sports analyst. Yeah, like a sports analyst or a data analyst for cricket. Because I think they've recently started introducing like a lot of data stuff. And so there's just so it's, I, I like cricket a lot. Let me just, mm -hmm. let me just <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, channeling your, your culture right there in the past two questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, thank you so much, Rithvik, for taking the time out of your day to sit down with me and discuss your story. Um, I learned a lot from this, and I hope those who have made it to the end of this episode have also. Um, before we finish, do you have any quick advice you want to share? It could be as general or as specific as you want. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why you feel so comfortable asking me for advice. <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, I, I want to say thank you for to those who have stuck around and who have listened to any of this <laughs> in my brain. Um, yeah, if you can make sense of any of this and have any of the questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, 
any advice? No. I, I really think just do what makes you happy, dude. Do what makes you happy and leave it at that. And I think that's the that's the bottom line of life. So great advice there. Uh, once again, for the listeners, if you're applying soon uh, to you know MD or DO schools, please check out Rithvik's platform for med school data at comparemedschoolsmedicalschools.com. Um, it's a pretty simple link. And oh, and Instagram also compare medical schools. And LinkedIn. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow, and share this with anyone who might want to learn more about pre-health paths, public health work, or specifically addiction science and research um, and the work that goes along with all of these different paths. In addition, please follow Health Outlook on social media for more inf- information about future episodes. Thank you to all of you who made it to the end, and I wish you all good luck.